Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. All right, tonight we're going to uh, look at John chapter 1. So if you turn to John chapter 1, believe it or not, I know you're going to be shocked at this, that I'm going to cover 16 verses tonight. How many are shocked right now? How many think I cannot do that? That's an impossibility. Thank you for the confidence in me. Uh, Thank you over there in the cheap seats, all right? I see that hand right there. Have you ever noticed that people are different? Okay, have you personally ever thought this? Why aren't people just like me? Meaning you, you. Have you ever thought, okay, let's personalize. Have you ever thought the people nearest you, you think, why aren't you like me? Have you ever thought stuff like that? No one's ever thought that? If people were like you, wouldn't it be a lot better in this world? Has anyone ever thought that? Please be honest. Yeah, if everybody was like you, it would be such a better world, right? (laughs) Right? I don't don't see any problem with that as a high-strung, choleric person, okay? Now, the interesting thing about that is that people are all different. Did Jesus pick all kinds of different personalities? (laughs) Yeah, he did. And by way of introduction, a couple introductions here, let me give you just some thoughts on this. Uh, First off, we're going to see tonight in the text we read, we're going to see he picks John. John, the writer of the Gospels. John was the guy that was leaning on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper, right? So let's say he's kind of an affectionate kind of person, a lot like myself. No, I'm just, I'm not that way. And then you're going to see Andrew is going to be one of them. Andrew's the guy that noticed uh, the, the kid, the lad with the five loaves and the two fish, but it couldn't feed the multitudes. So he's kind of a practical thinker in his respect. And then we're going to see Simon Peter tonight, And question, what is Peter's temperament like? Hot-headed, zealous, right? So he's a different personality in that respect too. And then you're going to see Philip is going to come on board with the team there. And Philip, he's the guy when Jesus says, you know, to to feed the multitude. And Jesus says, well, you you go get food for them. And he's the one who said, well, even if we had 200 nary worth of food, it wouldn't be enough to feed all these people. So he's kind of like a realist, maybe skeptical type of person. And then you have Nathaniel. Nathaniel's the one you're going to see at the end of the chapter. And he's studying the scriptures under the, Jesus is actually going to say, I saw you under the fig tree right there. So he's more of the meditative type thinking person of the disciples. So Jesus calls all these different types together. Now, he understands their different personality types. And listen, if you are in any kind of leadership, if you oversee any people whatsoever, one of the smartest, wisest things that you can do is to under, study up, read up, make it a passion of yours to understand the different personality types, correct? Because you cannot... Deal with everyone the same way, because if you do, you're going to make mistakes, and you might even really hurt people really bad. So you've got to understand uh, different types of personalities under, under your authority. Now, one more thing before I read the very first verse, and we go, and we're going to travel through this. Uh, uh, I, I want to I uh, clear up what some people would call a contradiction in Scripture. It's not, but let me show you. So keep your marker here in John chapter 1 and turn to Mark chapter 1, okay? Go to Mark, to your left, Mark chapter 1. 
When you're in Mark 1, uh, you can just say, I'm there, or, you know, I'm almost there, or I don't know who I am, or whatever you want to say, okay. Now, Mark chapter 1, and look at verse 16 through 20. This is very interesting by comparison to what we're going to read tonight in the disciples and their calling. Watch verse 16 to 20. It says, and as he, Jesus, was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Now, quick sidebar on this. You notice that Peter and his brother, they were what? They were casting a net. Do you see that? But what were James and John doing? They were mending the net. And so even in their uh, vocation in life, you see something that will be used in the ministry. Will Peter be the great evangelist to preach to many and reach many people? Yes, he will. How about John? After James and John want to call fire down from heaven to charbroil everybody, remember that one right there? Well, he finally comes down and he becomes a lover of people. And becomes a person that mends people's lives because he was the really the disciple of love as you read the rest of Scripture. So you see, in their pre-Jesus experience, what they are like is going to be used once they get the DNA of the Spirit. and It's going to be used in their ministry. But here's the thing I want to point out. This text here and the way they're called, as we read John 1, completely different. And people say, contradiction in Scripture. Not a contradiction. Because... This one in Mark 1 is happening at a later date than John 1. And in John 1, that's their conversion to Christ, their followers. And in Mark 1, this is their calling to serve and to minister. So they don't contradict each other. They actually cooperate with each other. Do you follow me on that one? Did that make sense? Okay, let's go back. Let's go to John chapter 1 and let's get into this thing. Now... In verse, um, verse 35, here we go. And again, again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. Now, this is John the Baptist, and he's standing there with two of his disciples. One of the disciples is the writer of the Gospel of John. He was a follower of John the Baptist until Jesus comes on the scene. Now, let's think of John the Baptist. Two of his guys, two of his followers are going to follow Jesus in this text. Let's see the effectiveness of John the Baptist's ministry. Um, did a lot of people come out to see what he was doing? Yeah. Did the religious leaders reject him? Yeah. How many people did he finally push or they chose to follow Jesus? A couple. And John, the writer of the gospel, is one of them. You think about how much fruit in his ministry, you think, well, that wasn't a lot of fruit. Well, wait a minute. Think about this. John, the writer, this apostle, did he go on to have a great and powerful ministry? Did he touch many people? Yes, he did. Never underestimate your ministry and your serving because if you just touch that one person and they go on to do great things, just think about that, okay? This is a funny question, but think about this. 
Some of you in this room, you changed the diapers of some of the great young leaders we have in this church right now when they were in the nursery. Anybody know what I'm talking about? How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you know, thank you, Aaron. You're just too... Your diaper wasn't changed here, okay? But I know, I know. I just had to say that. But never underestimate your ministry and what, what's involved in that. Now, verse 36, it says this. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Ah. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, reflect back. Look at verse 29. When John sees Jesus, what does he say? What? Behold the, the Lamb of God. So now you see it again. Was John, the writer of the gospel, there on both occasions? Say yes. Yes, he was. So now John said it before, and now he says it again. Why does he repeat it when John already knows that this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? I think maybe an application is this. Um, we don't get it the first time, do we? You ever hear a teaching? We don't get it the second time, do we? We don't get it the fifth time, do we? It takes a while to, for us to get it in our little thick head, right? And so you have to see, you, you see in Scripture this law of reoccurrence. And so as a preacher, I cannot be, um, I cannot shy back from saying certain things again and again and again and again. How many times did Jesus tell the disciples, hey guys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to take me. They're going to uh, be scourged. They're going to kill me. But I'm going to rise from the dead. How many times did he say that? Quite a few times, right? Question, did they get it? When did they get it? After he rose from the dead. Remember, because when he was taken and when they killed him and they put him in a tomb, did the disciples believe he was going to rise from the dead? They were hiding. They didn't believe anything Jesus said about that. And so it does take us a while to understand it. Now look back at verse 30. I'm sorry. Look back at uh, verse 35 again. John is, and, and never underestimate a single word in scripture. John, um, the, the writer, is he standing, walking, sitting in verse 35. He's standing. So when you're standing, you're stationary. Amen to that one? So Jesus in 36 is walking by. John is there standing. I don't think that's a coincidence at all whatsoever. Look, John <clears throat> sees Jesus and he hears Jesus because he's standing and he's standing still. If you really, um, if you really want to go deeper in, in a greater relationship with Jesus Christ, you got to sit still, don't you? You got to pause your life, right? When Moses and two million people are there at the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's chariots are coming, and the sea is in front of them, what does, what does Mo, do you remember what Moses says? He says, stand still and see the salvation of our God. You've got to stand still, otherwise you're not going to know God in a deeper way. If we just stay busy, and busy. We're never going to take enough time to really know him. Didn't the psalmist say, be still and know that I am God, right? That's Psalm uh, 4610, I believe. Now, verse 37, it says, the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So two of them hear Jesus as Jesus talking. He's walking, and they hear that, 
and they follow Jesus from that moment. <clears throat> now, here's the big deal with that verse. The moment the word of God, when you finally accepted it, when it finally became life in you, when you were born again, shouldn't that turn into you follow Jesus? Shouldn't it turn into I serve God? Because they heard him, and then all of a sudden they follow him. Look, have you ever realized in yourself that when you became a Christian, you, when the Spirit of God came in you, you heard those things, the words that changed your life, and you now wanted to do something for God? Any amen? Any amens? You know you can't sit still. You know you can't. You know you have to serve. You know you got to volunteer. You know you got to do something for God. Now, let me give you a sidebar on that one right there. If and when you volunteer, which I hope everybody does. I've been in church a long time, okay? So I'm going to talk to you from a guy who's been in church a long time on the backside. Don't cause problems. Don't go into ministries and cause problems, okay? Go into ministries and just submit and do what you're asked of. And if you do that, they're going to watch your maturity and you can rise up and rise up and rise up. See, I've watched too many times people go into ministries and they sabotage it right away. And I'm thinking, do you do that in regular life? I mean, this is the kingdom of God. We don't want to divide. We want to unite. Any amens on that? You know, so don't look around for, oh, they should do this different. Can you just stop? Can you just serve? Because look, you don't think we all see things that can get better and better? You know what the problem is with ministry? Humans do it. Has anybody figured that one out yet? Humans do it. And because humans do it, there, it's going to be imperfect, right? Right? Okay, now, <clears throat> now verse 38. And Jesus turned and saw them following. Now, Jesus is there and he looks around, oh, they're following me. Okay. And said to them, here's what Jesus says to them when they're following, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? That's interesting. <clears throat> These are the first recorded words of Jesus in the Gospels. What do you seek? Loaded question, right? What he's really asking is, what are your motives? What's your reason for following me? You know, what do you want? Question, did people follow Jesus for a lot of wrong motives? Bread, fish, bread again. It's popular to follow Jesus, all those things. But Jesus wants to know, are you a true disciple do you really want, do you want me or do you want what I can give to you? Let me tell you something about walking as a disciple versus a Christian. And I think there's a difference between Christian and disciple. A Christian, it's, it's kind of a teeter-tottery situation. When God doesn't give you what you want, how angry do you get? How often do you want to walk away from him, walk away from church, walk away from everything? Because God didn't give you what you want. And he said, I don't even know if God exists anymore. He didn't do that for me. Question, if you're a parent, do you give your kids everything? What if your kid, when you told them, I, I'm not going to give you that, what if they said, I don't even believe you exist anymore, Dad? <laughs> How ridiculous is that, right? It's just like the dumbest thing you've ever heard. You know, so no. So he asks them this question because he wants to know the motive. Now think, when Jesus asked them, asked them, what do you seek? <clears throat> they give the right answer. They say, where are you staying? See, it's not what they want from him. It's not a what issue. It's a who issue. I don't want what I can get from you. It's who are you? I want you, Jesus. 
you have to finally come to the point in your faith that it's not about what Jesus is going to give me. It's about who he is. And you just want him. Period, right? And that's it. And that's all it is. Now, verse 39. He said to them, after they say, where are you staying? He says, well, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. For it was about the 10th hour. Okay, so I love the way this verse breaks down. Verse he says, come. In other words, okay, follow me. Then he says the 10th hour. Now, that could be, if it's Roman time, it's 10 in the morning. If it's Jewish time, which I think it is, it's 4 in the afternoon. I like that because it's late in the day and they're going to follow him and they're going to follow him to where he dwells, which if you put on an application, it doesn't matter how old we are. Jesus can call us to do something no matter how old we are, no matter how late in life we are. Amen to that one? No matter what, no matter what. And then... Does Jesus mention a location in that verse where he's staying? Did he say that? The answer is no, right? Why? Because Jesus is a stranger in this earth, is he not? And also, Peter will write that you and I as Christians, we are strangers and aliens in this planet. Don't you ever feel like that? Don't you ever feel like you don't even belong here sometimes? Like, this is just a foreign place right here. Now, and the biggest piece of that verse is this. They stayed where Jesus stayed. In other words... Where Jesus abides, there disciples abide, right? Quickly, keep your mark here, just quick. Look at John chapter 12. We're going to look at this one verse, John 12. Verse 26, I'm going to read it, hit something, I'm going to hit back, okay? Look at John 12. Look what Jesus says, words in red. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Notice, following and serving, serving and following go together. Do you see that? He says, and where I am, there my, louder, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now notice, where Jesus is, where Jesus dwells, there the servant is also, correct? So servants dwell with Jesus. It just makes sense. Now back to John chapter 1. Look at verse 40. Uh, in 41, it says, one of the two uh, who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. Okay, so Andrew comes to Jesus, and then Andrew decides, I got to go share this with my brother. Question, did he get any training beforehand on how to share faith? No, he just shares faith, right? Do you remember how zealous you and I were when we first got saved? Anyone remember that? You had to tell everybody, right? Don't you wish you could keep that? Don't you wish you had that fire again? You can. It doesn't have to go away ever. Now notice, he goes, and who does he tell? An outside the family member or inside the family member? He goes inside. Oh, he goes after Peter. Wow, his brother. Now, do you remember the story? And this happens a few times in Scripture. And I'm going to use this story a couple times then. Remember the story when Jesus cast the demons out of the man? He goes, who's in there? And he goes, we are legion. Remember that story? I just put my own kind of voice to it, okay? And, and, and all the, Jesus cast the demons out of him and into the pigs, right? Remember that? It's really cool. I love that story. 
Okay, and then what does the man do after he's set free of all the demons? What does he tell Jesus? I want to go with you. Let me follow you. What does Jesus tell him? No, you stay here. You stay here and tell the people around here the great things that God has done for you. What is he telling us? Your first ministry of reaching lost people is what? Your family around you. These are the ones. You know, these are the ones you want to reach first. Now, some of them can get really antagonistic. Trust me, you know that, right? Now, <clears throat> let me tell you about Andrew who goes after Peter. This is a real cool thing about Andrew. Andrew is always bringing someone to Jesus. Is he not? Who brought the lad with the lunch to Jesus? Andrew. Who brought the Greeks to Jesus later on? Andrew. Who brings Peter to Jesus, who preaches, by the way, on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people get saved? Who brought Peter? Andrew. Andrew is always bringing someone to Jesus Christ. He's always doing it. Now, think about this. Andrew tells his brother Peter, we have found the Messiah. What do you think Peter thought about that? Sure. Sure we have. Oh yeah, okay, sure. And then, in verse 4, because Peter doesn't know verse 42 yet, right? Okay. Verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him. You know, I, I can't even imagine what Jesus looked, looked like. He looked at him. And said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which, tra which is translated Peter. Oh. He calls him by name. <clears throat> now, over the years, and, and I, I did it again to make sure, but when, when he called, you know, the name Simon, it, there's like two ways of looking at that word, and it always kind of baffles me why scholars look at it two ways and why all, everything in my reading says. But one of the ideas of his name, it means unstable. Is Peter unstable? It means vacillating back and forth. Is he that way? Yeah, he, he is kind of that way. Because uh, you're going to see him later on, Jesus, I'll never leave you. I'll die with you. And then, <gasps> I don't know him. Remember that one? Yeah, you know, he's, he's all paranoid. No. But also, they say the word Simon is derived from the Hebrew word Shama, which means to hear like Shema, the Shema of the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, like that. So it, it goes one way or the other. But here's what I like. Jesus gives him the name Cephas, which is Aramaic. It is Peter in the Greek, but both mean stone. I like that. Stone. You see... Is Peter solid rock right now? <laughs> no. But Jesus will always look at us and see us as what we could be, not what we are. Any amens? Never forget that. He always sees us as we could be, not as we are. Case in point. Um, Mark here, let's go back to Judges first in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Look at Judges Chapter 6. Look at, we're going to see two verses about Gideon. Now watch Gideon. <clears throat> Talk about a, a guy that looks like the biggest loser at the moment, but, you, but God sees potential. Look at verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord, chapter 6 of Judges, verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak. There was an Oprah. Not Winfrey, by the way. 
which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. Stop. Do, does anybody notice what's wrong or what's weird about that? Where's he beating out wheat? In the wine. Do you beat out wheat in a wine press? No, you don't. He's hiding. He's hiding from the enemy that comes in every year, swoops in and takes the crops. So he's got a little bit of scrap left and he doesn't want the enemy to take it. So he's in there beating out the wheat, hiding in the wine press. So would you say this guy from this verse is bold and brave or the cowardly lion? Okay, thank you for that. Now look at verse 12 though. Look what God says. It's okay, Aaron. Okay, verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him. He's appearing to Gideon now. And here's what God tells him. And said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. At that moment, is Gideon a valiant warrior? There's no way. But God sees him as he could be. And Gideon is going to lead the charge for Israel. Is he not? God sees us as we could be, not as we are. Watch case in point. Go back to Genesis. Look at Genesis 32. Watch this. Now, Genesis 32, we're going to look at the guy Jacob, Mr. Trickster, uh, for about four verses. 32, verse 24. Now, this is when Jacob is going to wrestle all night long with the man who meets him at the Jabbok River. Look at verse 24. And, and, you know, he's, he's coming home and he hasn't been home in 20 years. He's left because he cheated his brother. And the last words of his brother were, I'm going to kill my brother. So Jacob left. He's been gone 20 years. He's coming back. So verse 24, because Jacob is a trickster and a liar. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. He's wrestling with the pre-incarnate Christ, guys. There comes a time in our life when we can't run anymore, right? Right? When God says, okay, we're going we're gonna to nail you down. That's what Jim. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Do you remember the moment that God changed the way you walked in life? Remember the moment when God touched you and you no longer walked that way, but you walked this way? Anybody remember that? That your life changed and now your eyes were open and now you saw different, right? Hey, that's a, there you go. Verse 26. Then he said, let me go. For the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not <clears throat> let you go until you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. You ever wondered, why does pre-incarnate Christ, why does he ask Jacob, what's your name? Doesn't he know his name? He knows his name. Why does he ask Jacob, what's your name? Because the last time in scripture, when you find that someone asked Jacob his name, he said, I am Esau. He lied. He lied. He lied to his dad. Remember that? So now he's asking him, what's your name? Get it right. Let's fix it. Let's fix your life right now. Verse 28. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob. Now here, God's going to change his name because Jacob means trickster and now Jacob's going to be the father of Israel. He says, "Um, but Israel... For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Whoa. So now Jacob slash trickster 
Now his name is changed to Israel, which means strives with God. It's the idea you strive, but now you're, you're under God's command. God governs you now. So he goes from trickster to now obedient to God's will. In other words, does God see what we could be? Say yes. God knew he was a trickster. What's your name? He knew he was a trickster. But God says, but you're going to be Israel now. You're going to be a different person now. You're going to be this person that's going to be the, 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 the nation's name right there. <clears throat> now, let's go back to the guy again that was filled with the legion. Remember the demon guy I talked about earlier? Remember that guy? Okay. When the townspeople came, because this guy, the legion-filled guy, before he was delivered of the demons, he was out there, I mean, breaking chains, and people were terrified of him, and he's just in agony and pain because he's demon-possessed. And once he is set free, the townspeople come, and there's a bunch of things the townspeople interact with, but here's one of the things they say. Isn't, isn't that the man that had been demon-possessed? Isn't that him? He had been demon-possessed. Hear what they just said? He had been. But he wasn't now. That's what he had been. But when God got a hold of him, this is what he is now. Now for one, maybe one person there, you're, let me change it from had been. You're not a has-been. Well, Jim, you don't know what I did in my life. That's okay. You're not a has-been. You're a had-been. And when God comes into your life, He could change everything as you surrender. He could change it all. Because He doesn't see you as you are. He sees you as you could be. Is that making sense now? No, is it really making sense? Okay, let me give you one last thought on those verses. Peter, one of the ideas of, of Simon, I should say, one of the ideas of the name is to hear. And then Peter means you know, stone. Okay, think of it. Hear, stone. Peter hears Jesus' words. Don't we come, doesn't faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God? Yeah. Romans 10, 17, yeah. And then once we hear and we come to Jesus Christ, now Peter himself writes over in 1 Peter 2, 5, that now we become living stones being built up into a spiritual house. Remember that one? So we hear the word of God, we respond to it, and now we become part of the kingdom of God. We are living stones. We hear, and then we become a stone. Living stones built up into a spiritual house. I kind of like that one. Amen to that one? Now look at, let's go back to John 1. Oh, I got to hustle. Yeah, you think it's funny, don't you? Verse 43, 44. And the next day, he purposed to go into Galilee. And he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Verse 44, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Okay, so now they travel to the north. They're going to Galilee and to look for this guy, Philip. <clears throat> and uh, Jesus goes looking for him. And didn't Jesus one day say, I came to seek and save that which was lost? Amen? Now, a little side note. Bethsaida is where, the, is where this guy's from. Bethsaida means house of the fishermen. Now, in that day... Um, there was water there, lake there, Jordan River there, and they could come out of their homes and go right in their boats and go fishing. It's not that way today. I've been, been to that spot. They take you there. There's no more water there. There's no more lake there. Over 2,000 years, all the silt has come and filled up everything, and now it's just, it's just dirt there. 
So the terrain has changed in the last 2,000 years. Now look at verse 45. Philip found, so Jesus finds Philip. Philip found Nathanael. Nathanael's going to be the interesting character. And said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law, also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now Philip, he Jesus finds Philip, Philip goes and finds Nathanael, and he announces to Nathanael, he says, Nathanael, we have found the Messiah. It's like saying this, hey, Nathanael, we found the Messiah. He's like right down the street at Starbucks. You got to come and check it out, okay? <clears throat> what do you think, what do you think um, Nathanael's thinking? You've been drinking? Is there, you okay right here? And then when Philip adds, he's from Nazareth. He's from Nazareth. This, this, watch what Nathaniel says. After he hears it, the guy's from Nazareth. He's from Nazareth. Verse 46. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, well, come and check it out. Come and see, right? <clears throat> So is Philip meeting an objection? Yes. When you share the gospel, do you meet objections at times? Yeah, expect it. It's going to happen that way. Don't let it turn you off. Now, why does Nathaniel say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, he says it because Nazareth was just a little podunk town, no account. And the Messiah is not going to come out of a little town. He's going to come out of like Jerusalem, some well-known place. But Philip says, oh, come, come on, just, just come and see. Just come and see. Now think about this. We know, for those of you who know your scriptures, we're going to read in a second that, what's, that Jesus is going to tell Nathaniel that Nathaniel was doing what? He was reading the scriptures under a fig tree, correct? Jesus said, I, I saw you doing that. So he's a student of the scriptures if you're a student of the scriptures, which is the Old Testament for them, then he would know Micah 5.2 about the Messiah. Where's the Messiah going to be born? Bethlehem. It's not a true question. Bethlehem. So when Philip says, we found him, he's from Nazareth. Wait, I'm a student of scripture. First off, you're out of your mind. He's going to come from Bethlehem. And you're telling me Nazareth, and it's a podunk town to, with, with that too? So now, you can see why Nathaniel is kind of skeptical, right? This is not making sense. Now, we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We know the scriptures. But he was brought up in Nazareth once they come back from Egypt when they had to flee there. Remember, as a, a toddler? They come back, and that's where Jesus grows up in Nazareth, because Nazareth is where the descendants of King David, of whom Jesus is the physical line from King David, that's where they grew up. That's where they settled. That's why when Mary and Joseph, when Mary's pregnant, and they call for the census, they got to leave Nazareth, and they got to go back to Bethlehem, because that's the place of the ancestors of King David. Nazareth, the idea of Netzer, it means branch. You'd call it branch town. And so if you go back to your prophecies of Isaiah about David and the guys, he's the root of Jesse. He's the branch. It all fits together very, very well if you put it all together. Now, verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him. Now, he doesn't even let Nathanael say anything. He says to Nathanael, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. 
You know why that's a funny statement? Because Jacob means deceitful trickster, right? And Jacob's name was made train, changed to what? Israel. He goes, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob, basically. There's no trickster here. You're not a, in other words, you're a pretty honest guy. <clears throat> so backtrack. When Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Is he being sarcastic or is he being honest? I think he's just kind of being honest. You know what the application is for that? It's a tough one for Nathaniel to accept because he knows the Messiah is born in Bethlehem and now he hears this guy's from Nazareth. So he's just kind of, he's an honest guy like, can anything good come from Nazareth? Are you, are you kidding me? Look, whenever you share your faith or before you share your faith, don't assume that people are going to be antagonistic. We had did a whole series on answers, right? You got to be able to answer questions. It's that simple. Some people need the questions answered. And we need to be able to answer those questions. They're not being antagonistic. They just have questions. That's all it is. Now, verse 48. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Can you imagine? You did what? Verse 49. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the king of Israel. Wait a minute. Because Jesus said that he saw him under the fig tree before all this happened, all of a sudden he goes, you're the Messiah. Why? Because Jesus is omniscient. He knows all things, right? And this guy's like, this guy knows all things. <clears throat> now, Jesus knows all things. He knows all about the guy. That's either the best or the worst news we've heard tonight, Right? He knows everything I've done. He knows every thought I've thought today. He knows how I treated people at work. He knows, it's either the best or the worst news that we've heard in our lives. <clears throat> now, he says, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. In other words, an honest man. What a great testimony, right? Now, verse 50. These are the last two verses. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree? Do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And here's the kicker verse. He said to him, Truly I say to you, you'll see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What does this mean? Why is he telling it to this guy, to Nathaniel? Jesus just took Nathaniel back to Genesis 28 and verse 12. 28-12. Where Jacob has that dream, remember? Jacob's ladder, you ever heard that term? He has that dream of a ladder that stretches from heaven to earth and earth to heaven. In other words, and there's angels going back and forth on it, using it to travel between heaven and between earth. Jesus now takes that illustration of that dream of Jacob and he puts it here with Nathaniel and he's telling Nathaniel this. He's emphasizing there's a, there's a separation, there's a division because of sin between heaven and earth, right? Right? But notice, look at verse 51. There's a change 
in the wording from Genesis 28, 12 to right now. He says at the end of it, the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the, oh, the Son of Man. Jesus is the Son of Man, messianic term from Daniel chapter 7. Now, in other words, who is the latter in now in the story? It's the Son of Man. It's Jesus Christ. He's the, he's the go-between. He's the one. He's the one that bridges the gap between heaven and earth, between earth and heaven. He's the one that solves man's sin. Now, that makes perfect sense with what John is writing because John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sins of the world. He's the one that bridges the gap. Remember that one right there? That's what John said in John chapter 1 when he writes, To as many as received them, to them he gave the right to become children of of God. He's the one that bridges the gap. And it makes perfect sense with in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14 of John 1, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The God-man, Jesus came. Now He's putting it all together, and we see that Jesus is the God-man that bridges heaven and earth, and it wipes away sin. Amen to that one? Now, last two thoughts. <clears throat> there are some that believe, and I'm one of them that when Nathaniel was reading, before Philip came and barged in on his studies, that he's sitting under his fig tree in his yard, because this is what the Talmud said, if you're going to study, sit under a tree. But some people believe that Nathaniel was reading the very story of Jacob and Jacob's ladder. And so when Jesus comes up and shares that story, even after saying, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, before, Abraham, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw And then he nails it with the story, and, and Nathaniel's like, that's, that's just what I was reading. This is what I was studying. And so Jesus is nailing it, nailing it, nailing it, and showing this guy who he is. He's the omniscient, omnipresent Savior who bridges the gap between heaven and earth. Amen? Now, let me give you one last thought. I want you to think back on everything we did tonight and the people who got converted. Have you ever noticed no two conversions are alike? Ever notice that? Okay. How did John come to Jesus? He heard, right? He just heard. How did Peter come to Jesus? Somebody invited him. Somebody brought him, right? Okay. How did Philip come to Jesus? Nobody brought him. Jesus just went and found him. Nobody brought him. Okay. How was Nathaniel converted? Well, he was invited. Come check it out. Just come and check it out, okay? So when it comes to conversions, none are alike. I mean, first off, one is converted just by the preaching. Two of them, it was personal evangelism. And one of them, no human instrument was involved. Jesus just found him. So no one comes to Jesus the same way. It's, it's just all different the way it happens. Some of you needed to come forth at an altar. Not me. I wasn't coming forth for my life, okay? That wasn't going to happen. I knelt down right at my chair because I, I was not going to do that. But I knelt down and my life was changed in a moment. Pastor Fred Rodriguez, one of my good pastor friends, he got converted in the shower. He, he gave his life to Christ in the shower. You've heard me say multiple times that people in the Middle East that Jesus is coming to them in dreams. In dreams, Muslims, and they're converting. There's some amazing stories that I've heard from people that live in the Middle East and these amazing things. No one person 
uh, I, mean, I should say, no two conversions are alike. Jesus will use different methods and different ways to reach people. The goal is he just wants people reached. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, <clears throat> we're so grateful for this evening, for your word. Hopefully it inspires us and shows us that we can reach people also. Father, we thank you for your word. It's what gives us life. And Lord, just finishing on one thought, that God doesn't see us as we are. He sees us as we could be. He sees you as you could be. Never forget that. And as you follow and submit your life to Christ and surrender completely to Him, He's going to build your life in ways that you could never imagine. Just trust Him. Just trust Him. You don't have to settle for scraps like Gideon in that wine press. You can become the valiant warrior that you were always meant to be. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, Amen and Amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.